Hello, listeners. Been wondering how you can help the show? Probably not. But here are five things you can do. One, subscribe. Support the show by clicking the subscription link in the show notes. Two, review on iTunes, on our website, www.afraidofnothingpodcast.com, or on whatever app you listen to. Three, donate. When you go to our website, click the cute coffee cup icon. Or, in the show notes, click the subscription link. Four, share. Sharing really is caring. Tell your friends, and even your enemies, to check out the show. Five, watch. Wait a minute, it's a podcast, not a movie. Actually, it's both. Check the show notes to find out where to watch the documentary. You can also rent it on Prime Video. That's it. Oh, one last thing. Enjoy this episode. Love ghost stories? We've got one to hit you right in the heartland. The heartland of Savannah, Georgia. Home to rolling hills, historic plantations, southern hospitality, sweet tea, buried secrets, and restless spirits. You know, I had a crew member who was, when he showed up, he's like, I don't bind it. He's like, I'm happy to work on your film. I don't bind any of this silliness. I'm like, yeah, cool. I don't, I don't care. And my partner and I were off working on something, and he came to the house by himself, and he said that uh, he felt very uncomfortable, right? And he gets to the front door, and he looks back into the room, and he says, hey, guys, just want you to know, I mean you no harm. I'm here making a movie with Mark. You know, just I'm his friend, and, and I'm working with him, and, and nope, nothing bad. He walks out to his car, checks his phone, and he has a text message from himself that says, please come back inside. Tonight, we interview an actor, writer, director who not only grew up in a haunted house, which his father built, by the way, but later filmed a successful motion picture there. Oh, if the walls could talk. Turns out, sometimes after dark, they do. Feel that cold chill? You're about to be hit with a Savannah haunting. In a world where nothing is known, nothing is certain, reality is not real. Wake up! Be afraid of nothing. I'm Bob Heskey. Robert. The host with the This is my podcast, based on my paranormal documentary, Afraid of Nothing. Each episode, we talk to people who see life and the afterlife through a different lens. Join me. Who is this large man? And what's he doing in our bedroom? As we lift the veil and open our minds to see beyond our eyes lie. This is Afraid of Nothing. This is going to be one of my favorite shows tonight. We have a gentleman, William Mark McCullough, who is a writer, a director, and an actor. And such a cool guy. He didn't put himself as the hero in his film. He put himself as the bad guy. And the film we're talking about is a great movie, which I've rented and even bought last night. I liked it so much. It's called A Savannah Haunting. So welcome to the show, Mark. Thank you. I am uh, very pleased to be here. Cool. And we also have our good friend, Kyle Carvin, also an actor, director, and uh, I don't know if you've written scripts. I think you have, Kyle. I just finished my first one. Oh, cool. Excellent. We can talk about that, too. So Kyle actually knows Mark and introduced him to me, and I was, I was stoked to have you on, Mark. So my first question for you is, man, it is hard enough to make an independent movie or, or a film. You not only did it, you did it during COVID and in a haunted house that you grew up in. So do you mind giving us a little bit of the backstory of what that was like? <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, you know, I went to law school and I thought for the longest time, law school was like the pinnacle of difficult for me until I made this movie and it made law school feel like a joke. It was so hard. 
We were supposed to start filming March 23rd, 2020. So we had scheduled the film and budgeted the film pre-COVID. We got shut down two days before the film started, and we were shut down for about five months before we got the go-ahead to start back up. And SAG said, I believe we were one of the first 10 movies in the country to shoot with the COVID protocols. It was brutal. The COVID protocols at the time were really, really intense. And being an independent film, like we couldn't afford to get shut down. You know, it would have just, it would have devastated us. So we took extreme precautions to make sure no one came down with COVID. So that was kind of like how things started. And of course, when we shot in the house where the, you know, the haunting took place, the script is based on. And as soon as people came in here for pre-production, our crew started freaking out. And we had crew members who were threatening to quit. I had two crew members who were staying at the house just as a way to save money. And neither of them made it past a week before they left uh, because of stuff they were experiencing in in the rooms they were staying in at night. You know, actors were coming in and going out and they, uh, several of them have some really cool, creepy stories, but the ones I felt bad for were the crew who were here 12, 14 hours a day for weeks and weeks. It it was tough. I mean, it was, it was definitely uh, uh, trying to keep them calmed down. Obviously, you know, the story is based on real experiences but I was trying to play that down as much as possible while we were on set so the crew wouldn't walk off. You know, it's like, oh, yeah. it's no big deal, you know, but yeah, it, was, <laughs> it was hard. Hey, you, did your sound guy pick up any weird EVPs while you guys were filming? You know, I don't know. We were obviously focused on on the story and trying to pull that together. So I wasn't looking for things, right? I wasn't I wasn't trying to find things. But interestingly enough, now that the movie's out, we've gotten – messages from people, just fans who watch the movie and they'll send screenshots and like, Hey, did you purposely put this in the movie? And there'll be figures or we refer to this thing as a shadow shadow man, yeah. but there are these figures in the movie that some we put there, but some we did not. So I think we just happened to grab some takes that actually picked up uh paranormal stuff. Now we did have a behind the scenes film crew just picking up, you know, talking to the actors and the crew and whatever. And they captured some paranormal stuff on their, on their footage that we saw. Wow. That's awesome. Hey, I want to get Kyle in first to talk about the Genesis story about how you guys first met. I guess it's a pretty funny story. And then we're both going to pepper you with some questions. I really, you know, I will say up front, I have a hard time finding indie horror movies that are fresh and a little bit different because they all seem to be baked from the same recipe a lot of the time. And yours did stuff that was really good. I mean, you didn't focus on the jump scares. You wrapped uh, stuff from your documentary around it, bookended it with it. And it was just really well done. And the acting was amazing. I want to talk about your lead actress. I, I want to tell you who she reminded me of. But Kyle, first, I want to get you in and, and talk about how you met Mark and, and maybe if you have some questions about the filming too. Yeah, sure. So me and Mark have only met face to face like twice. And I knew about Mark because we, uh, for a time, we shared the same agent. And uh, I did just known about him and uh, my agent at the time would talk about, oh, yeah, Kyle, you didn't get the role because Mark got it. <laughs> I was like, damn yeah. you, Mark. Take you as damn you, Mark. Yeah. Right. OK. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Damn you, Mark. No, Mark's great. And then uh, we actually ran into each other at a callback for one show. We got talking a little bit after. And then I actually auditioned for his film, A Savannah Haunting. So then we just talked uh, over over time over Facebook and email every so often. That's you know we we met as actors and then um, it was really cool to see that he was doing this this horror film and I had no idea I guess why would I but um, that he had these experiences because I probably would have hit him up much earlier to be like yo invite me over <laughs> yeah. I need to see this for myself yeah well I got a funny story Kyle yeah. My producing partner, Alexis Nelson, who is, you know, she, I would be lost as a filmmaker without her. She just thought you were the most handsome man she's ever met in her life. Uh, <laughs> when she saw you audition, she's like, oh, my God, this guy's like eye candy. I was like, yeah, yeah, he's OK. He's all right. <laughs> I, told her, I told her I was doing this, this, uh, this interview and I told her you're going to be on here. And she goes, oh, damn you. So, <laughs> <you have a laughs> That's funny. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's funny. We get that a couple times from our female psychic guests. About, yeah, I, I have a hard time getting their attention back sometimes. But uh, yeah. <laughs> you actually said a, a couple of things I was going to ask you about about your cast and crew experiencing things during the film. 
when you said a couple of the crew didn't last for uh, more than a week, is there something like specific or was there a recurring one thing or what kind of things were they saying? Well, the two crew members who were staying at the house, one was staying in the upstairs bedroom. That's the little girl's room in, in the movie. And the other was staying in April's room, the, the pink room. And what happened to them, which they did not tell me this until probably a year after the movie was completed. Because what I found most people, when they experience things in the house, they're afraid to say anything because they don't want people to think they're crazy, right? So both of them woke up in the middle of the night and they saw this like blue fog on the ceiling and they described it as having kind of electricity running through it. And what's interesting, at least 10 guests through the years who stayed here, all female, have seen that exact same thing. And when we were doing the documentary, my producing partner headed that up. And she interviewed my siblings and, and, you know, my siblings and I had talked about the house being haunted, but we'd never talked specifics ever. And my little sister who used to stay in that upstairs bedroom, she had that experience all the time. And she said the first time it happened to her, she assumed dad had put in some kind of cool fog machine to surprise her. She didn't realize he didn't do that. <laughs> but yeah, that's what, that's what happened. And our, our lead actress, Jenna Shaw, she saw the same thing. She wasn't staying here, but one of the days while she was waiting to film. What's interesting about it is I've never heard of a of a guy seeing it. It's only been women that have seen that particular thing. Wow. Hey, I got to throw in about Jenna Shaw, man. I kept thinking Tony Collette heredity when I was watching how she played it. Yeah, yeah. Was that ever in your mind or has anyone else ever said that? Because your whole cast was really good, including you. But she really uh, carried the carried the role superbly. And I, I many times watching, I kept thinking of Tony Collette and Hereditary in terms of the performance she pulled off. You know, you're the first person to say that. But now that you say it, absolutely, I can see it. And Hereditary is one of my favorite newer horror films. I thought it was so well done. But yeah, Jenna was great. You know, she had a tough job playing a mom who's who's ostensibly you know grief stricken and going through all these mental problems and trying to make that real and relatable i thought she did a phenomenal job interestingly enough about three months after we wrapped she happened to be in savannah visiting and she stopped by to say hi and it was just the two of us and doors started slamming all over the house and she asked me if i had any construction going on and i said nope it's, it's just us they're just happy that you're here uh, yes. Yeah, she had, she was, she got fairly, uh, freaked out while she was filming, but I gotta say like the actors were amazing and, and they were easy to work with and they were great. But I do think that shooting in the actual haunted house, it helped inform their performances, right? Because except for Tommy, Tommy Rose, she's the only actor on set who didn't have any experiences on set. Uh, but all the other actors did. And I think it really added to their performances, you know, being in the house and kind of sensing what was going on here. I think it added some layers. And, you know, one of the things I'm most proud of, the film won a lot of best film awards at film festivals around the world in just regular film festivals. Like we were beating out dramas and Jenna won a couple of best actress awards. Tommy Rose won a few uh, best supporting actress awards. I think uh, Brittany Lovell won uh, an acting award. I think, uh, Dean West won an award, but, but I was so proud of the fact that like, you know, usually you're not winning best acting awards or best film awards for horror films. So I, I was really excited about that. You won best director awards. You won a, a few of those as well yourself. So yeah. Well, here's the thing with that. Here's the thing with that. I learned a long time ago talking to a director that the secret to directing is to cast really well and then surround yourself with really smart people. And that's what I did. If you do that, the job is pretty damn easy. Hey Kyle, you agree with that? Because you've been you've been uh, taking your, a hand at directing in the past couple of years with a couple of feature films. One coming out shortly about a Ouija board. Is that your experience too? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, I think having a killer cast it takes so much pressure off of off of your job, where you really get to focus and to, especially on these lower uh, outside of the studio budgets when you have limited resources, having a cast, a killer cast is, is like one of the most important things. Absolutely. It's like our little kids, you know, Nico uh, Tarosi and uh, Jalen Bufkin, she plays Alice and he plays Andrew. They showed up ready to play. Like uh, Nico's got a lot of lines in the movie and not one time did he go up on his lines and he mess up his lines. He was just, just solid. So it's so, I mean, all the actors were, 
But yeah, with our schedule, you know, we had a uh, a ten hour a day shoot limit because of COVID, mm-hmm. and obviously and kids too, that. probably right with children actors. You had kids, limited- yeah, we can only use the kids. I think about six hours a day. Yeah, but just having a ten hour limit on an independent film was just brutal. So we were doing like two takes per setup, and the actors just had to show up ready to go. Like they couldn't. They couldn't phone it in. They couldn't like figure it out while we were on set. They had to be ready to rock and roll, and they all were. I mean, they were they were all really phenomenal. Hey, who was the casting director, or did you cast these people that you that you knew? No, it was Matthew Sefik. He uh, he does a ton of really uh, really great shows. Uh, he's doing uh, uh, Will Trent and um, True Lies this season. Uh, but I've known Matthew for a long time, and I had talked to Matthew about casting it years ago when I first wrote the script. And of course, I had to find the money to shoot the film. So it was a long time before we called him back up. But he was he was great, and he you know he presented some really wonderful actors our way, and and had good insight. Uh, yeah, Matthew was a was a blessing. Yeah, I noticed in like Andrew's bedroom, right? There was this in one shot. There was this looked like an old fashioned radio or something, or, or was it a TV? Or I know, I know, I bring that up because Kyle shared an article uh, about you with me um, and doing the research, and there was a haunted TV, which maybe you can tell us about in your real life. But do you recall? Was you know what I'm talking about? His bedroom. I, I swear to God, like there was this old fashioned radio wood console type thing. I don't know. I, I imagine most of it was actual from the house. You probably during COVID, you had to go with what you had, right? All the furniture in the house was was already here. The only exception was Andrew's room. We actually created that room. I turned my uh, my downstairs living room into his bedroom because there is a real bedroom that we were going to use, but you know it was just too hard to get the camera crew and everything in there. So we had to we had to create a room for him. So actually, all of the uh, like that radio, I know exactly what you're talking about. Our production designer actually brought that in. Okay, uh, and wow. in the little girl's room. All the little girl toys and the little girl bed that was brought in, but everything else in the house was uh, was the real furniture that's here. Mark, I I say this probably too much on my uh, podcast, but I live a mile from one of the most haunted houses in the United States. It's called the S.K. Pierce uh, Mansion in, in uh, Gardner, Massachusetts, and you have uh, you had a doll, of course, in your in your film, and actually Kyle did a film called Doll or Dolls, I think. Yeah. But what they do at the SK Pierce is they raffle off dolls each month. And then that doll spends all the dolls rotate to different rooms in the house. And then after a year, you get the doll, you know, so uh, that would be a cool thing to do with your house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that doll was actually based on a real doll that my uh, great grandmother had that just used to scare the hell out of me. And so that's what we we're trying to replicate with that what we realized though it is very hard to find a doll that looks like a seven-year-old girl because dolls either look like little women or little babies and yeah. um, to get that doll we actually went to a lady who makes i, I forgot the call i think called life dolls maybe but basically mm. when a mother loses their child sometimes they'll get these dolls that look like a six seven eight-year-old child that they use as kind of a re- an emotional replacement until they get back on their feet and that's what we use for the movie. That's so funny. My ex-wife for Christmas several years ago for my two daughters, their their Christmas presents was exactly what you just said. Lifestyle dolls. We're supposed to look like them, but look creepy mm-hmm. <laughs> instead, you know? So it's funny. Look exactly what you're talking about. Kyle, what, you, what, you have some questions about the production process? Yeah, I have a, you know, I actually watched the movie again today. And the nursery rhyme, is it a nursery rhyme? Of course, I can't think of it right now. The creepy song. Hush Little Baby? Hush Little Baby, yeah. Why did you choose that song? Is that something from that you really experienced, or was that just a, a song that you chose because of the creep value for the film? You know, it's interesting. That's, I was thinking about a, a theme song. I knew that I wanted to have a song that played throughout the movie, but different iterations of the song to capture different emotional experiences. So I wanted a song that could be sweet and kind of sad, could be a little creepy, and I wanted one that could be really, really scary. And I was at the gym one morning and that song just popped in my head. I work with the, uh, with our, with our uh, composer for months, you know, cause you, you, when you hear the song in the movie, like obviously sometimes the music is from like a children's piano, but it was really the, 
during the climax, when, when the dad goes down into the basement, when the, the nature of that song changes dramatically, we spent a very long time working on those transitions and trying to trying to make it really, really scary, but at the same time, keep the essence of what it was. There was no real experience that I've had with this. I mean, I've heard it like everyone else. It was just, it just seemed like it fit. And then the fact that the relationship between the mom and, and Alice or the doll, it just seemed to fit really, really well. Yeah, it was super effective how it uh, popped in and out of the film and evolves with the with the film. So it's really good. It's a really good choice. Outside of the film, up to this point, you had you actually mentioned before we started recording that some of the activity has intensified, and I'm curious to 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 hear about how you're able to what keeps you there or what uh, I guess you're not too freaked out by it all. So. Talk about what you are currently experiencing and and how you manage to stay sane. Well, I'll say this. Like, you know, my dad moved into the house when I was a kid. It was just this little, tiny, tiny little one-bedroom house. And my dad had a lot of skills that I don't have. Like, he could build anything. And so he literally built 90% of the house. He kind of built it around the original little small house. And you saw the movie. You saw that the house has a very unique feeling and very unique look. And everywhere I look, I'm just reminded of my dad. And so I had, I had been living out in LA and I came home because my dad got sick and I just wanted to spend some time with him, you know, while I was sick and things were really, really scary. Like it always been haunted and it was more of a mischievous feel. But when I came home, the nature of the haunting had changed dramatically and it had become much darker and much more ominous. And when he passed away, I was very, very on the edge of, of leaving, but I just couldn't leave this house because my dad, you, you know, I just, it was my dad's house. He loved it. He put, he put so much of his time and effort into it. And so I just made a vow. I was going to do whatever I could to stay here. So at the time we brought in a demonologist from LA. It's interesting. She said something that we put in the movie and I actually put it on the poster. She said there was a portal or a vortex in that upstairs bedroom. That's the little girl's room in the movie. And she said that that something had come through that portal and her words were, what's in that upstairs bedroom is not a dead human. It is something much darker. And uh, she did all the stuff that they do to get it out. So at each corner of my house, there's a 50 pound rose quartz crystal buried about three feet deep. And it got this demonic thing out of the house. Now, interestingly, that thing would stay around the house. Like it would, it would whisper outside my window at night. It would pound on the door in the middle of the night. We had a medium come over and he said that he was standing at the front door and he could sense this thing running around the house as fast as it could looking for a way back in. So for the longest time, the house had been mischievous. And, and obviously when people come to visit, it would freak them out, but I just kind of got used to it. After the movie came out, obviously a lot of paranormal investigators were very interested. And so they wanted to come visit the house and I just kind of let them do whatever they they do. And I think someone inadvertently reopened that doorway. And what the original person, the, re, the demonologist had told me was that she could close the door, but the stuff on the other side would just be pounding on that door trying to reopen it and that eventually they might get it open. So either I think the things on the other side opened it or someone doing one of their investigations reopened it. But the nature of what's going on here the last on a six or eight weeks has changed dramatically. And just to give you a couple quick examples, last week I, I go to my bedroom, light on the bed, all the lights are on. I'm just getting ready to read a book. And in the movie, there's a painting of a, in my, in the master bedroom, which is my room, there's a painting of a, of a woman looks like she's from the 1800s, you know, pretty lady. Well, that's, that's just my painting. It's on the wall. Well, all of a sudden the bottom of that painting starts coming off the wall rocking back and forth and moving like, like a clock, like back and forth for 30 seconds. I've heard lots of things in this house. Things have moved, walk in a room, something's in a place it, it wasn't before. I've heard you know, doorknobs turn, I've heard pounding, but I've never witnessed something move in front of me without anything touching it. And it freaked me out. I mean, I was just laying there just in shock. Of course, the next day, my, my producing partner was like, why didn't you film it? And I was like, dear God, I could barely breathe. You know, it's like, it was so scary, but it was just like literally, cause you know, it's a painting. So there's a wire at the top and it's on a hook. 
And it was, it was as if there was a hand coming through the wall from behind, trying to push the painting off the wall is what it looked like. So that was freaky. Another time, uh, I guess about a month ago, I was lying in bed. I wake up at 2.30 in the morning and I'm just laying there. And like three minutes later, I hear this huge crash. I turn on my lights and I have this, this wall mirror. It's like six feet tall. It just leans against the, the wall. Right? It's, not, it's not mounted to the wall. It just leans against the wall. It had been pushed over and down, which physics doesn't allow that, right? It just, you know, no explanation. It would take someone, it's a big, heavy mirror, but something pushed it over and just, you know, slammed it on my floor. I mean, just so many things have been happening, you know, just the, like I said, the, the nature of things, you know, I heard a voice outside my window uh, two weeks ago in the middle of the night that usually, it used to be, I just hear whispering, but this, I could, I could hear like a man's voice and it had... The way I describe it is almost like a metallic sound to the voice. That makes sense. So yeah, I'm definitely going to have to bring in another expert to get this thing out because I can deal with mischievous stuff. Pretty used to that, but but I don't I don't like things getting moved in front of me in my bedroom. So is it more the land or the house, Mark, that is haunted? I think it's the land. Interestingly enough, you know, I, I wrote the script and. And what it did is, is obviously the family is just a made up family, but the experiences they go through, many of those experiences are things that happened to my family and guests who've been at the house of the years. But the, the whole background of there being a plantation and a plantation house that burned down during the Civil War, I just made all that up. After we finished the movie and we started working the documentary, we brought in all kinds of folks and some of those folks were historians, found out this was a plantation and there was a plantation house here that burned down during the Civil War. So a lot of the the mediums who who've come have said that it's it's not the house. It's it's definitely the land. Sherman's army, when he did the march to the sea, they had a, a burmish on this property. The road out front of my house is one of the oldest roads leading in Savannah. And I'm very close to the river running behind me. This is a very popular Native American site for you know thousands of years before all the Native Americans were kind of run out. So I'm sure there's, you know, probably burial mounds close by. We found out that uh, one of the spirits that's in the house, I was very aware of her. Uh, I give this little story. I grew up in a trailer park, so I didn't listen to classical music, right? It just was not my, wasn't my exposure. I didn't like it or whatever. When I moved back here, I slowly started listening to classical music. And then I started listening to classical cello specifically. And I would just listen to it while I worked. And my producing partner, when she came to Savannah for pre-production, she walks in my office and she's like, what are you listening to? And I was like, I don't know. I just like it. Well, we bring in a medium uh, after we finish the movie and the medium's going through the house and she goes into the unfinished room that's next to my office. And she says, I see a woman. She's dressed in like 18th century clothing. She's by the window and she's playing a cello. And then a couple of weeks later, we bring in a paranormal investigator and they're going through the house and they've got their headphones on and they're picking up noises and they go in the same room and they pick up classical cello, which makes me think there are things happening beneath the surface that we can, we can on a subconscious level pick up, but not consciously. One of the teams that came a couple months ago, the lady's name is uh, Brandy. Her name's Brandy and she's on... Um, She's on uh, 28 Days Haunted on Netflix as, as the medium. And she saw the lady. She said her name was Elizabeth. They start doing investigations and find out that the, the man who, who founded the plantation, his wife was named Elizabeth. She died when she was 31 from a yellow fever epidemic. Well, they go into the woods around my house to start doing research, and they find her gravestone in the woods, which is insane. They also found a tree that, that's referred to as the hanging tree, which I'd heard about this tree, but they actually located it in the woods. So, so yeah, I think the the haunting stems from there's a lot of pain on this property. Also, when my dad was building the house, he used wood, you know, reclaimed wood from older houses that had been dismantled. And he had some old antique items. So I think there's a lot of stuff going on. We found a voodoo doll on the roof of the house after my dad passed away. And so I'm, I'm pretty sure that Someone at some point had put a, a voodoo curse on the house. Hmm. One of the mediums referred to it as an onion. So there's just layers of things in the house. It's not just one thing. I love hearing this. The entity that has been said that it's not human. Is it like a demonic spirit or is it something else? Or And it's, inter- it's really interesting that it's like, even though it's 
banished from the the house, the four walls, so to speak, that it still remains on the property and is doing what it can to to still exist. It's got to be some powerful force there. What I was told is that it was demonic. Now, what's interesting is the haunting didn't start until my dad started building the the house here now. When he finished building that house and, and he turned this little tiny one one story house into a kind of a bigger two story house, the haunting started. And there's part of it for me that feels like, you know, that portal that's in that upstairs bedroom. I think that might have always been there. It's just no one had access to it. You know what I mean? And, and my dad kind of built the house up into where that portal was at, thus giving it access to the house. You know, we, we've done a ton of research. Gosh, we had a, uh, a voodoo priestess, a bunch of mediums, paranormal investigators. We had an Eastern European or Eastern Orthodox priest, and they all had very similar outlooks. Obviously, some you know slightly different ideas about the specificity of what it is. But I don't know the answer. You know, what I mean, I just don't know. Like, yeah. I know there's some things that come through this house that are terrifying, and I think are, are dangerous. Uh, and I think the thing that's back now is dangerous. And I think there are other things here that are not so dangerous. Like the little girl, like obviously little girl plays a big part in the movie. Dozens of people through the years have heard this little girl, heard her laugh, heard her cry. They've seen glimpses of her running across the mezzanine upstairs. I, I don't know the story with her. I know the last paranormal investigation team that were here, they were specifically investigating that little girl. And what their determination was, is that she's not a little girl. She's something else pretending to be a mm. little girl. So I, I don't know. I just don't know. Mm. And, and how do you mitigate that you, you do feel that there's some danger there? How do you mitigate living amidst that? Do you uh, avoid certain going to certain parts of the house or the property? Well, b- before we got the original demonologist in, I didn't walk upstairs. The whole upstairs was off limits. And if I had to come up here for some reason, I would literally call my, my producing partner who lives in L.A. I'd call her on the phone and be on the phone with her to walk upstairs. Now, I'm okay being upstairs now, but I still, to this day, I don't walk into that upstairs bedroom, the little girl's room, after dark. Like once the sun goes down, that room's just off limits. You know, outside, I don't really have any place I, I avoid. You know, the original property was huge. It was like 600, oh, over 600 uh, acres. Obviously, my, my property is much smaller. They, they kind of, they chopped the, the plantation down into much smaller plots. But yeah, I just kind of, I avoid that one room. Like I said, normally before the last couple of months, it was just, it was like a little child being mischievous. You know, I would hear things in the middle of the night. I'd hear things get knocked over and drug across the floor and it didn't really bother me. But just last week I woke up to the sound of like, it sounded like metal being drug across a wood floor, but it, it was under my bed, oh, you know? And it just, I was telling my partner, like for the longest time, my bedroom was a safe place, right? There's just nothing happened in there. Mm-hmm. And now I, mean, I have things being, you know, paintings being moved, mirrors being knocked over, things being drugged under. The, and of course, I didn't look under the bed because I've seen too many horror films. <laughs> you know I mean? Like I'm not an idiot. But, you know, I was in a really, really bad motorcycle accident at the end of 2019 one medium believes that that was caused by the forces in the house. Mm. I don't know if that's true, but but an interesting part of it is, you know, I was on my way to film set. There's a movie shooting in Savannah that I was working on. And I walked out to the garage. And at the time, I rode a motorcycle. And I remember opening the garage. And when I opened the garage, this red light was just flashing. It would just come on and go off. Come on. Like the whole inside of the garage just light up red and go dark. Light up red and go dark. So I looked around. And I found this bicycle that had been there for years. And you know how those, those little tail lights on the back of bikes that flash red when you're riding around at night, yeah. that light was on. But again, the garage, I just live here by myself. So no one had access to that garage and I couldn't turn the light off. So I remember getting on my motorcycle and I'm backing out of the garage as this light's just flashing red. Mm. And I'm telling this to the medium and she says, what does red mean? It means stop. Yeah. And she said, that was your dad warning you not to go on the motorcycle that morning. And, and so she felt like my dad was trying to protect me, but something else in this house was, was setting me up to, uh, to get in that wreck. Now, because I got in that wreck as a direct result of that wreck, this movie got made because I was bedridden for six months. Like you don't see it in the movie, but when we started shooting, I was on crutches and then I progressed to a cane. I think I was on a cane still when we finished the movie. So you notice the, the scenes that I'm in, 
you never see me walk oh, wow. because I couldn't, right? I would just kind of, I think in one scene, I take one step forward and it was brutally painful to take that one step forward because <laughs> I just couldn't, I couldn't move around. But I remember calling my partner, at, you know, after the motorcycle accident. And once I found out, you know, how long the, the recovery process was going to be, I told her, look, I can't do any acting. So I'm, I'm just laying here in bed, but I can write emails and make phone calls. So the accident happened October 28th. And we signed our investment contract February 1st. So I say that because once the movie came out, I've gotten so many messages from people saying they watched the movie and weird, creepy things started happening to their house that kind of mimicked what happened in the movie. One of the paranormal teams had come in before the movie ever came out and they're using a spirit box. And the spirit box starts saying things that I know are just they're just literally describing the plot of the movie. Now the paranormal team didn't know this because they had not seen the movie. And I FaceTimed my partner. I was like, you gotta, you gotta listen to this. And I think that the stuff in the house really wanted me to make this movie. Mm-hmm. And, you know, every paranormal person or team that's come here has gotten some pretty dramatic experiences. And I think that's on purpose. And I don't know if that's because the the stuff here was looking for a way to go to other places or just like the the attention. I, I don't know. But another crazy thing, someone asked me the other day if I celebrated this past year on the anniversary of, of the motorcycle accident, because you know, I'm all good now. And I was like, no, I didn't, I was like, I didn't do anything. I was like, oh, wait a minute. That was the, uh, the premiere of the movie. So literally three years to the day from my motorcycle accident, this movie premiered in theaters. It's a lot of synchronicity going on there, right, Kyle? Huh? Yeah, it's pretty crazy. And I actually got, I got goosebumps multiple times there. But I got to say also that, Bob, we've talked to so many people, you more than I, but that just talk about, you know, there's no coincidences, basically, and, and all the signs that whether we recognize them or not, it's, it's almost like a, a skill to one, you have to be open to it, but two, to kind of decipher, you know, what's happening around you and, and what these, what these things, what these coincidences really mean. But, you know, you, you're telling that, that story and it reminded me i got in a motorcycle accident back in 2012 i was actually coming home from set it was like 10 30 at night that night i could not get my motorcycle to start so i was like stuck on set and i made calls to uh can somebody figure out how to i don't know what i'm doing wrong but then it's i got it to start and it happened my accident happened on the way home and you said october 28th and i my jaw dropped because i think that was the night of my accident in oh, 2012. Wow. I could be wrong. It might've been October 29th. How similar the, the, the story of something going wrong with the motorcycle having to do with set and, and the date. I was like, wow, what's going on? Maybe me and Mark are supposed to like team up and, and, and beat this devil. <laughs> <laughs> you know, here's, here's another crazy thing. So the move, so the, the plantation house that's, that's in our movie, is normally in huge movies. Like it was in Glory, you uh-huh. know, it was in Underground Railroad. I mean, it's been used in dozens of films and it's a, you know, it's a, it's a real plantation, but it's only used for movie making. And I, I think I'd worked on four or five movies or TV shows at that location. And when I was writing the script, I used that plantation as kind of my template, knowing that I could never afford it, right? There's no way I can afford that place. Like huge, like $50 million films use this, this location. Well, when I had my motorcycle accident, it happened on my second day of filming and the accident happened at 7 a.m. I was literally a mile from this plantation. And I remember telling the EMTs and they got there because I couldn't move and they got there and I was like, hey, I got to get to set. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm filming all day today. I, you know, I, I got to be there. It's like, I think I think my leg's fine. And the EMT says, if you looked at your arm, I had like a bone sticking out of my arm, but they took me to the ER. And by 11 a.m., I was back on set because it was it was an independent film. I knew that they didn't have like insurance. They'd be screwed if I didn't show up. <laughs> and so I got I talked the doctor into putting a splint on my arm because it was a it was a period piece set in the 1850s. And of course, I'm playing a horrible racist plantation owner. So I had to take my splint off and wrap like cloth around it because I couldn't have a cast in a movie set in the 1850s. So anyway, I was in brutal pain as I would have crutches and the PAs would like carry me to to the set and they would take the crutches away right before action and they'd bring the crutches back right for cut. Oh, wow. So in any event, I reach out to the owner of the house, a guy named Buck Meeks, who's a really fine, fine gentleman. And I say, Hey, I just, I'd like to talk to you about maybe, you know, 
using your plantation for a day or so uh, to get some exterior shots. Because I kind of talked to him. He goes, wait a minute, Mark McCauley, you, you're the guy who was on such and such film that got in the motorcycle accident. I was like, yeah. He's like, I didn't talk to you. He goes, but I saw you come that whole week in agonizing pain and work 12-hour days. Because you can have my location whenever you need it, as long as you need it. Wow. Wow. <laughs> There's no way we could have got that location that we could have afforded that location had Buck not done that for us. And uh, so I just, I'm a big believer that things don't happen by coincidence. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's just for me, another example of that. Maybe the house wanted you to take the motorcycle ride. <laughs> in retrospect. Yeah. Yeah. I'm kidding. I'm half kidding, I guess. Just tell it to tell its story. Yeah, right. You know, I know stories from interviewing people that stay at houses or work at houses or, or, or rehab houses like that. Has anyone noticed a change in you? Like you said, your business partner, does she try to say, Mark, get get out of that house? Or have you just been fine? Nothing has affected you emotionally or anything while you've stayed there? Well, you know, probably I'm probably not the right person to ask, <laughs> to be honest. I mean, I think I'm fine and the same, but I don't know. I mean, my, my partner absolutely understands why I stayed because, you know, she used to visit me. I mean, it was actually her idea to do the movie because when she visited the first time, before my dad passed away, I put, always put her up in you know the upstairs bedroom or I put all my guests in the upstairs bedroom. And her very first night there, she had a terrifying experience. She came downstairs and was sleeping on the couch. And my dad got up and he walked out and he's like, honey, why, why are you not upstairs in the, in the bedroom? And she says, Freddie, that room is haunted. And he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> you know, it was no big deal to him. But she, she came to me and she's like, Mark, she goes, because I told her kind of the history of the house and because generally speaking, I didn't tell people about the haunting because, you know, you, yeah. you sound a little crazy, right? And she's like, look, you, you should take these experiences that happen to your family and friends and turn it into a script. So it really, it was her impetus that, that got me to write the script in the first place. When you wrote this, did it take long to write it or did it just come to you? Because you said you thought you were making up things, but actually when – you know, after the fact, when investigators came, there were things that you wrote about that actually did happen to the house. So did this script take a lot to write or did it come pretty naturally to you? It took about three weeks. Yeah, it came. It was three weeks. Oh, my God. Kyle, do you write? I, I, I don't write that fast. Kyle, what's the fastest you've ever written? Well, I just finished my first my first feature. I'm on like the 14th version. <laughs> yeah, and overall, right. I mean, it's been years. <laughs> well, years, years like, I've, I've written other scripts that took yeah. way longer, way longer. Uh, but yeah. yeah, this one just like came to me and I was writing it in the house. And it's interesting the things that were happening, you know, like a lot of scary things were happening in the house while I was writing it. So I think part of that was whatever's here was putting ideas in my head. And I think also just being in the house and being so visceral and real, it was kind of easy to I always say, like, I don't ever go around telling people I'm a writer. You know, it's like, you know, no one's ever going to hire me to be a writer. Mm-hmm. I'm a pretty good note taker of life. You know what I mean? If, if stuff happens literally in front of me, I can write it down. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what happened with this script. It just, because of all the experiences, they were so vivid and, and obviously burned into my, into my consciousness. It was pretty easy to just take those experiences and apply them to a, to a made up family. So the demon and the three spirits, the guy that you played, his daughter Lilith, Tommy Rose, and then the, uh, the young girl, which of those are inspired from true life and which did you make up? Here's what's interesting. You know, we, we left it pretty murky. But the idea with the with the story is, and some people get this, some people don't, is there are no ghosts, right? It, there's one demonic force that, and we'll learn this eventually, you know, in other installments, but, but basically when someone dies on the property, this demonic force can take the form of them, but it takes a twisted, darkened form of them. Oh, interesting. Okay. So like the Lilith character, you know, we were holding auditions for her character. I've written scenes for a, a prequel because uh, we always kind of envisioned having a prequel set during the Civil War and then a sequel. And I knew that a, a Lilith in the prequel would be this sweet Southern belle who was just a good character who happens to fall in love with a woman in the story. So we had auditions for you know actresses to play Lilith in, in a span haunting where she's this dark, you know, kind of seductive character, but also needed her to play sweet, innocent, naive. And uh, Tommy Rose was just phenomenal at playing both sides of that character. But yeah, for me, the real the evil entity, we don't see. The character I play, William and, and Lilith and, and Alice, 
they're all just different faces that the demon puts on in a way to affect people in the house. Yeah. Now we had a scene in the movie originally that made that kind of spelled that out during the climax, but it kind of slowed things down a little bit. So we got rid of it for me. The little girl was certainly something I knew that would be in the story, but because so many people had experienced a little girl here yeah. and then the plantation stuff that I just made up. But again, looking into the history of the house, I see that a lot of that was actually true. I just didn't know it. Uh-huh. What I bet you Kyle picked up out of that answer is that you're going to make another movie so he gets another chance to audition, right, Kyle? Well, he's like, Kyle did an amazing <laughs> job. Right, here's, right. here's what's interesting. Like, you know, and I say this to actors all the time. Like, we had we had two families up on the wall, right? The headshot's up on the wall. Because when I wrote the script, I'd always envisioned Lilith as being dark-haired. And Tommy came along and just blew us away. It never occurred to me that we'd have a blonde-haired, blue-eyed Lilith, right? I always picture her with dark features. I remember Matthew sent her over and I, I saw her headshot. I was like, well, she's a beautiful woman, but she's just not what we're looking for. And he's like, trust me, just watch the audition. But anyway, it came down to who we cast as Lilith was going to affect how we cast the family, right? Because I wanted the look to be very, very different. But Kyle did an amazing job. I mean, he was, he was awesome. Like I said, my partner thought he was the most handsome thing she'd ever seen. But there's just some things you can't, you know, actors you have no control over, right? Like you, you can't control yeah. your basic look compared when you're trying to fabricate a family, you know, and trying to make people match or, or, or purposely not match. We always knew from the very beginning that there was a much bigger story to tell. So we certainly hope to be able to do that hopefully relatively soon. You could do a prequel or a sequel, like after, you know, I don't want to spoil the ending, but you know, what happens with the mother? Mm -hmm. Is there the next family that moves in or or what do you think is next? Uh, I think we, well, unofficially, off the record. <laughs> okay. Because yeah, no one will hear this. <laughs> yeah, no, no, listen, I think we would like to do a prequel next and kind of get into how the haunting got started. Like what initiated, I won't give too much away. People hadn't seen the movie, but you know, that, that breach to hell, I like kind of explore how that got there. Like what were, yeah. you know, and, and also there's all these hints as to like what happened to Lilith and William originally, you know, when they're standing inside the, when, uh, Lilith and April at the mausoleum you know, in the, in the uh, cemetery and April runs away. Lilith kind of steps away and, you know, there's a plaque on that, on that mausoleum that lists a bunch of family members that all died on the same day. You know, the idea being that when the plantation got burned down, they all died together. Mm. I think it'd be really fun to explore that. And then, you know, our, our, we already have a very strong idea as well for the sequel, how we'll kind of wrap everything up. And, and have some really fun callbacks to the original film as well. From the beginning, I had a, a kind of a trilogy mapped out. But from a, from a story perspective, I think it would be more fun to do the prequel first. And do you think you can write that in three weeks? Or do you think that'll be take longer? Uh, you know, I think it could be pretty quick. Wow. Yeah, I mean, it's... God, uh, I wish I had that. I don't like... To, <laughs> well, again, I don't normally have a very... I mean, I've written things that took me a long time to write. I think just because especially now after doing the documentary and learning the history, like we really know the history of the plantation. Now we know mm-hmm. what happened here and the people that were here. Like for me, if I, if I know the characters, it's pretty easy to throw those characters into a story. If I know the story, the basic story. Mm-hmm. And I think we have a pretty good sense of who the characters were that, that actually lived in the plantation. And of course with, you know, with Savannah, you had that, that really interesting history of, Sherman burning Atlanta and then doing the march to the sea and he gets to Savannah. And again, his, his, some one of his big battles was on this property. Period piece. You're going to have to have a bigger budget for the, uh, the burning down the house and the costumes oh, yeah. and things oh, like oh, that, yeah. right? Like, there's no way, you know, doing a Savannah haunting, the budget we did was brutal. It, it was brutal. So yeah, the budget definitely has yeah. been bigger. But fortunately, the movie's been doing really well. And so I don't think that will be too too hard. Awesome. Mark, I thought I read somewhere there was a TV that kept turning on and off in your in your childhood when you grew up in that house. Can you talk about that? Sure. When I first moved back home, I would walk to check the mail every day. And the room that's now the kitchen, in the movie it's the kitchen, for the longest time it was just a storage room. There was always the anticipation of turning into a kitchen, but it just wasn't turned into a kitchen yet. And in that room was an old, you know, this big tube TVs like up on a pedestal. And every day that I'd walk through the front of the house, that TV would be on, but it would be on static, you know, because it wasn't hooked into anything. And I'd go and turn it off. And then the next day I'd come through, it was back on. It happened day after day after day. 
And I'd call my partner and she's like my tech guru. And I was asking her a million questions like, you know, what's possible? Could it be that my neighbors have a remote control that somehow keyed to my TV? And she's like, no. I was like, is it possible people are driving down the highway and like something in their cars turning? You know, I'm trying to come up with anything that's not supernatural, right? Because I live here. And we couldn't come up with an answer. So after this happening for probably three or four months, every day being turned on, I go up to TV, it's on. And I was like, you know what? Screw this. I go and I unplug it. Next day, I walk through the house, TV's back on. I go up, go to unplug it again and see the TV is unplugged. And I remember I took it off the pedestal. I took it outside and I threw it in the dumpster. Now, what's crazy, you know, months later, my partner is interviewing my brother. And she calls me up afterwards and she's like, you've got to see this interview. Now, I had never shared that story with him. And he starts telling about, you know, creepy things that happened to him through the years. And he told a story 20 years ago of him walking through the house and that TV coming on every single day when he would come through the house. Um, You know, but he didn't throw it away, unfortunately. (laughs) I had to deal with it afterward. But there were a lot of stories like that where when my partner interviewed my siblings, because she interviewed me first. So I'd kind of gone through all the things that happened to me. And then she interviewed them and she was just shocked at the number of stories they shared that were almost word for word stories that I had shared, but we had never talked about it. Oh, wow. Do you think you would want a cleansed house or is there something that's like alluring to you that almost wants to keep some of the some of the spirits around that that is easy to answer i do not want a cleansed house okay. you know because i've had a lot of folks come here and and they're like oh we can get everything out of the house i'm like i, I don't i don't want everything out of the house because i do think there are things here that protect me and that are that are supportive of me now this new thing that was i think originally here i do want that out because that feels very different it feels very dark and very dangerous but I don't know. I've just, I've just, it's become such a part of living here that doors open and things move. And I, I wake up in the middle of the night to the sound of footsteps upstairs. It just, I think it would feel very, very cold and empty if everything was out of the house. Yeah. It probably sounds weird to people who don't experience it, but it just feels like it's supposed to be here. Like I found out that one of the paranormal investigators, I didn't know this, one of the ways he got the stuff in the house riled up is he was yelling at it. This is my house, not your house. Mm-hmm. And that kind of ticked me off. Cause I was, I was like, well, I found this out like months later, but it's like it, he's wrong. It is their house. They live here. The demonic force. I, I don't want here, but all those other things that are here, I don't feel in danger from them. I just feel like we just share this space together. Yeah. There's a guest we had on this probably a couple of years back at this point, Bob, the gentleman that stayed at my Airbnb. Yeah, Butch from uh, 320, or is that what it's called, the band? Or? Yeah, Butch from uh, 320, the band. And Mark, this guy was a, a guest at, I used to have an Airbnb down in, in Sonoy, you know, where Walking Dead films. And I had, I had like a themed out Walking Dead Airbnb, and uh, I lived in one half. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was pretty sweet. And I had, um, you know, a lot of super fans that were fans of the show would come and, and they'd stay in half of the house. One guy, uh, Butch and his wife, April, they came and it was for her birthday. They went out for dinner and, and came back and it was pretty early, like 8 p.m. or so. And she was just tired. She actually went to bed and, and me and Bob or me and Butch started talking and, and we hit it off. And he's a musician. He's a lead singer of a band I and mean, he's out of, I think, it's South Carolina. I forget how we got onto the topic of his experiences from, but basically he's had multiple experiences follow him around and it's not something he ever talked to. He never felt comfortable in his circles. You know, a lot of people, a lot of the skeptical people look at you sideways when you talk about some of this stuff. So he like opened up to me and he told his, one of his stories was so crazy to me. And I'm, I'm curious if there might be some like culmination for you uh, that he, he had this experience of basically this battle of, of light and dark happened while he was in his presence. And he saw, he's basically saw and experienced what he believes is some sort of angel versus demon altercation. And I'm, I'm just curious I have no doubt with what you're saying that uh, there are there are things there that are on your side and protecting you. 
and and I'm curious of like if the, if it's all going to come to a head at some point with this other um, malevolent being. Well, two things. I wish I'd known you had this Airbnb because I worked on uh, The Walking Dead last season. That would have been really cool to stay there for sure. But uh, I hope not. Mm-hmm. You know, I hope there's not some kind of massive battle between good and evil in my house. I, I do know that I've had multiple people who were absolute atheistic non-believers in anything spiritual or supernatural at all who came to this house and left believers. You know, I had a crew member who was, when he showed up, he's like, I don't buy it. He's like, I'm happy to work on your film. I don't buy into any of this silliness. I'm like, yeah, cool. I don't, I don't care. And my partner and I were off working on something and he came to the house by himself and he said that, uh, he felt very uncomfortable, right? And he gets to the front door and he looks back into the room and he says, Hey guys, just want you to know, I mean, you no harm. I'm here making a movie with Mark, you know, we're just, I'm his friend and, and I'm working with him and, and no, nothing bad. He walks out to his car and checks his phone and he has a text message from himself that says, please come back inside. Oh wow. God. She, that's gotta be in the yeah. next movie. That's man. Crazy. Oh my God. That's incredible. And then another friend of mine from LA, he came and he was just visiting. And again, a guy who didn't believe in anything. And, and I didn't tell him anything about the haunting. I was like, oh, dude doesn't believe anything. Cool. And he was staying in that upstairs bedroom. And after about a week, he comes to me. He's like, Mark, I don't know what's going on, but every night at like midnight, my whole bed starts to shake. And it reached a point where he would like play on his iPad. He'd play like little girl cartoons from, from Nickelodeon. Mm-hmm. He said he felt like it calmed whatever was in that room down. But he went from being a non-believer to an absolute believer. And it's just kind of funny for me because I did an interview a couple of weeks ago and someone was challenging me as to whether this stuff was true or not. I was like, I, yeah. I don't care. You know, it doesn't matter to me at all. Like no. you could watch the movie, enjoy it. You don't have to believe in anything to enjoy the movie. So I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to create like a haunted house theme party. <laughs> it doesn't matter to me. Yeah. It's just, but I always say to those people, you're welcome to come stay, you know, yeah. and see for yourself. Yeah. No. Uh, I'm always curious. I think I've asked a few guests in the past of how they deal with skepticism. Uh, although I do think skepticism is uh, is important. Uh, you know, going either way if you're if you're fully a full on believer, despite what evidence may point that something is not real or not there, that's just as harmful to to somebody who is says that the, nothing's real, no matter what. Uh, you know, both sides. So that healthy skepticism, I think, is important. But I've always been curious about people who work in this field who have, in many ways, dedicated their lives to studying paranormal and uh, or the umbrella of anything in the realm, how they dealt with skepticism of people that deny everything they say and call them charlatans and, and whatnot. And what Mark just said is, is I think it's a, it's a really solid answer of like, look, I'm not here to prove anything to you. Like it doesn't matter to me if you believe what I'm saying mm-hmm. or not, you come check it out and decide for yourself. And that's like the healthiest answer that I think people can give. And I'm on the side that I am a believer, but I also have to keep that skepticism in mind. You know, I want, I want proof for my, myself before, and uh, I want that for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for me, it's, it's uh if it just happened to me, I could chalk it up to maybe I was just going insane, right? I mean, certainly it could happen. But just the fact that it's the exact same things have happened to so many people over decades. I mean, just stories that are just chillingly similar that have happened to different people, you know, both guests, family members. And the fact that we never even shared these stories only to find out that we experienced the exact same thing. Um, but yeah, I don't really deal with skeptics because, you know, I just don't care. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's one of those things that I get it. You know, if, if this didn't happen to me and I didn't see it and experience it myself, I'm not a I'm not a harsh skeptic. I'm not someone who says I don't believe in anything. I think I'm at the point in life now where I, I'm open to anything. You know, but I do like to have some proof. We we put one of the shots at the end of the movie and uh, the very end of the credits of the rocking chair. Yeah. But I have another security cam capture that's so scary. My partner and I debated it because I wanted to use it. And she goes, Mark, no one's going to believe this. Like it was, it's just so shockingly scary. I'll tell you what, it was, it's a little girl. We captured a little girl in the middle of the night 
in the upstairs walking from one room to another room. Wow. And, oh, and again, I live her by myself. And I was like, we should use that. And she was like, no one's going <laughs> to believe that. It just, it's just so shocking. Oh. So I, I get people being yeah. skeptical. And like you said, I think that's totally healthy. I mean, I'm certainly, I don't walk around believing everything. I think, I think there are a lot of charlatans and things like that. It's like with mediums, right? I mean, I'm sure many mediums are just BS, Mm -hmm. but I have mediums that I've dealt with. uh, Like when my dad passed away, you know, I I had messages that were given to me that are just so insanely accurate that I, I know that there are some people who have gifts. I don't think everyone does, but certainly some do. Yeah. Do you have pets? Not anymore. I had a cat. But I realize I'm just too, you know, I like the idea that I can get up tomorrow and sure. fly to Paris if I want to uh, have yeah. my pets tough. But the cat, when, when he was here, I, I know he saw things because I'd see him looking. I remember one time I was downstairs in the kitchen and I heard like something getting knocked around upstairs. And I said to myself, that aggravating cat. <laughs> and I looked down and the cat's standing next to me looking up at the ceiling too. And I was like, <laughs> okay, it's not the cat. That's great. Oh my God! Mm-hmm. Um, that's another scene for your next movie. There's some, there's a couple of great things you shared tonight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I tell you a real quick story before you before you end. So, because I added this, I literally added this scene to the outline for the prequel. Someone drove by, and they didn't stop, but they messaged me later, and they said, "Hey, my son. That is son who's ten years old, who's autistic, and the son told the mom." Then when they drove by, he saw a woman dressed in white standing in my front yard, staring down at the ground. And she's like, hey, can you show me what she was doing? And he, he like did a little pose and she took a picture and sent it to me. And, uh, and, he, and it was so creepy. I was like, well, I'm mm-hmm. definitely using that in the next movie because <laughs> the idea there's just some woman standing in my front yard in a white dress with a yeah. you know white hat on is uh, – Yeah, absolutely. That's creepy. Uh, with no context. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Last question for you, Mark. It's actually two part. One, what do your siblings think of the film? And two, where can people watch it? And and what's coming up next for you? I guess that's three. Sure, my siblings love the movie. I mean, I guess they wouldn't tell me otherwise. But <laughs> Mine would. They love the movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it's interesting. My my uh, one of my brothers, who he's actually his interviews in the closing credits. He's an extra in the movie uh, during the plantation party scene. He's the extra who closes the door behind the dad. And so my, I've got a little niece, I got a lot of nieces, but one niece in particular was watching the movie. Her mom let her go to the theater and see it and just, you know, covered her eyes during a couple of scenes. But after the movie, she comes out, she's like, oh my God, I didn't know Uncle Shane was famous too. (laughs) (laughs) I think it was probably a little tough for them to see their interviews on the big screen because I know how it was the first time I saw myself on screen. It's like a shocking, you know, if you're not used to that, it's pretty shocking, but I thought they did a great job and they've been nothing but supportive. We got the documentary that'll probably be, we'll have it finished up in the next couple of months. It started as a singular documentary, but there was just so much stuff. We're actually turning it into a, into a documentary series. So yeah, they loved it. Uh, As far as me, you know, we're, we're working on, on finding money for our next film Last week, I booked a, a really fun movie that I can't announce yet, but uh, start filming that in May up in Atlanta. That'll be a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, it's just uh, the constant hustle. Yeah, good stuff, man. Hey, Kyle, that's probably another role he beat you out for, right? Yeah, probably. <laughs> I but it makes yeah. sense. You know, Mark's amazing. I don't know if you've seen him outside of this movie, uh, Bob, but yeah, he's he's a fantastic actor. Here's the thing: I don't I don't play the super good looking dudes. I, what I play, <laughs> the thing in a Savannah Haunting, like so many people when they first read the script, they assumed I was playing the dad, and I was like, "Are you out of your mind? Like, this is a sweet <laughs> character that your audience is supposed to fall in love with him, feel sorry for him. Like, that's not what I do." And originally, I wasn't in the movie at all, and our, our investors actually. Uh, are the ones who told me they wanted me to put my character that that would be in the prequel into a Savannah Haunting and work that character. You did a good job. You know, when it comes to the acting stuff, it's like a side tangent. It's like it's always when you don't get it, and but you you know your friends get it. it it's you're just as happy, really. Like it's it's good that Mark or, or whoever you know, if it's a friend that that gets it instead of me, it's 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 amazing. And there's plenty to go around for all of us. So that's so true. Like I've got like ten acting buddies. 
that we all kind of like trade off roles and, yeah. you know, I'll see them and, and, you know, post something on social media that they're in the show and something I'll audition for. And, and like, like you said, Kyle, it just, it thrills me because kind of the guys in this, in this market who are my quote unquote competition are also no. some of my best friends. Uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm a firm believer that if it's right for you, it's right for you. And if it's not, then you would hurt the film if you were in it, you know, and, and yeah. it's just finding those roles that just fit us perfectly. So yeah, absolutely. Well, I have to tell both of you, Kyle, thank you for introducing me to Mark. And Mark, I, I really enjoyed the film. And thank you for making the film in the first place because it's nice to rent something that you can watch and you can enjoy and it's something different than you've seen before. I really thought you did a great job and I, I encourage people to rent a Savannah Haunting. They can pretty much rent it everywhere, right? Yeah, I forgot to mention that. My partner would kill me if I didn't say this part. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's on Amazon Prime, uh, YouTube, Vudu, Google Play. It's on Comcast Video On Demand, Spectrum Video On Demand. Uh, we just opened in Russia on 970 screens. Oh, that's amazing. That's awesome. We're opening in Australia in mid-April. We opened in the Philippines in 48 theaters. So it's starting to do the international thing. But but yeah, it's been doing really well. And so yeah, I'd love for you guys to check it out. And if you love the movie, you know, please leave a review. If you hate it, just email me privately and tell me what you didn't like about it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> don't, don't, yeah, I know. Don't. It's always the naysayers that leave reviews. That's what sucks. It's always the most negative people that you think are, yeah, are lazy. They'll go through the effort to, to throw you under a bus. It's a, But it's a great film. I'll leave, I'll leave a review uh, this week. I definitely will. Well, an interesting thing about that, like on, on Amazon, the only way you can leave a review is if you rent or buy the movie. Yep. And we have, I think, a four out of five stars. On IMDb, anyone can leave a review. And before the movie ever came out, we had a hundred ones. <laughs> like people <laughs> oh, oh, my God. God. Yeah, Jesus. You know? And it's so aggravating <laughs> because if someone watches the movie and doesn't like it, hey, I'm totally cool with that. You know, there's plenty of movies I watch and I don't like. But these people just – bomb your movie with negative reviews and having seen it. That's very, uh, that's very yeah. frustrating. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, people that watch it are going to enjoy it. So again, thank you so much, Mark. Thank you, Kyle. I appreciate your time tonight. I, I really enjoyed this conversation. It was great guys. Thank you so much. Yeah. I had so much fun talking with you guys. Thank you. been listening to the afraid of nothing podcast please subscribe and like us on facebook until next time stay scared hey you're still here great then why not listen to another episode visit afraid of nothing podcast.com to peruse all the shows that's afraid of nothing podcast.com and while you're there Click the coffee cup icon to buy me a coffee and leave a review. I'll give you a shout out in an upcoming episode. And the world will know how swell you are.